For a lot of people, anxiety, particularly around putting yourself out there and building your personal brand online, can lead to paralysis and a life of standing still. Letting life pass you by, waiting for the perfect time to take action is a powerful recipe for a life of regret. It's also exactly what life looks like for a lot of people. But if you're listening, thinking that building your online influence and a massive following is only for the alphas, then think again. Ian Padgett joins me this week on the podcast to tell me how he built Logo Geek while struggling with social anxiety. He's a fantastic role model and a great case study in how ordinary people can do extraordinary things online if they just take the first steps and start. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second right now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and you can grab some older ones when you're done with this one. Don't forget to join our Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Ian. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome Ian Paget to the show. Ian runs a website called logogeek.com. Ian, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. It's really great for being on here. Thanks for inviting me. It's my pleasure. I think I've, I've met you a couple of times and never really had the time to sit down and, and speak to you. So this is... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Because, yeah, uh, yeah we, we've met quite a few times at events, but we... we it's always been when there's been so much going on, so it's nice to actually stop and chat properly. Yes. So your business is called logogeek.com. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Usually I ask people to tell me a little bit about who they are, where they are, and the kind of work you do. So let's start there. Sure. Well, I mean, you can ask me to go into more detail, but as a, a high-level point of view, Logo Geek, um, it started out originally as a hobby, um, but now it's my my full time uh, business, and it's offering uh, logo design and graphic design services to clients. Uh, but then there's another part of it where I I work on a, a community and uh, a, a podcast specifically for other designers because I, I I've always been really passionate about uh, logo design, branding, and so on. So. Uh, Ironically, the uh, name Logo Geek works for uh, both sides of that. Um, I can go into the whole detail of, of how I uh, started it and everything if you wanted me to, but I'll, I'll let you steer the conversation. <laughs> I, I want all of that. <laughs> so I think where I guess to maybe expand on what you were talking about there, I work with lots of people in lots of different kinds of businesses. And a lot of the time I'm telling them to do what you've done and it's often very difficult to paint the picture of the impact that that can have mm -hmm. so i would like to really look at your story because i think it's a brilliant case study of a creative person that could easily have just gone to work in an agency or set up his own agency and bimbled along the bottom same as everyone else but you haven't done the same thing as everyone else you've done something actually quite courageous and knowing you you're quite an introverted person yeah i am yeah very much so <laughs> so to put yourself out there in the way that you've done is is very courageous and i would probably having examined everything you've done now use you as a case study when i'm talking to clients mm -hmm. so 
I would like you to tell your story. So if you maybe b- before Facebook groups, before yeah, podcast, sure. what did your life look like then? Okay, so well, I, I've been a graphic designer for um, quite a length of time. Um, I didn't actually study uh, graphic design at, at university, but it was something that I really wanted to uh, get into. So I think as a starting point in terms of the uh, story of how I led to where I am today, it's probably worth um, explaining how I got my first job as a, a graphic designer. So um, obviously went to school, I was really interested in art and design. Um, I, I then moved on to college in the UK, um, which again was focused on on, on uh, mainly art-based topics, but none of it included uh, graphic design. I, d- I didn't have any uh, knowledge at that point of uh, all of the uh, softwares like uh, the the um, Adobe Suite, which is one of the industry standard tools. Um, so in terms of leaving education, I didn't have any of the skill sets needed. Um, and I do remember my careers advisor at college basically telling me that um, it's impossible to do what I want to do unless I do um, go on to further education. But I'm I'm the youngest of... Uh, quite a big family. I mean, split between two families. I'm actually the youngest of uh, ten <laughs> uh, children, um, and uh, my my daddy was is um, he would be in his nineties now if he was still alive. But it, he always told me, you know, all my other kids they didn't go to university, so you won't. So I, I never had any expectations of going to university. I what I planned to do was finish college at eighteen, go out there and find a job, and uh, I, I wasn't that <laughs> motivated to to get anything in particular I probably would have been happy working in a in a supermarket but I did you know kind of persist looking for something that was creative and I, I was quite lucky early on to get a, a print finisher job so um, rather than working on the graphic design side of it it was within within a small company that would take the work that they was doing that they would print off and then finish it off so that was kind of like my my entry point into um seeing what other seeing how graphic designers works they they had a couple of guys in in their team and i i, I realized quite early on and i would have been about 18 at that point um that i didn't want to do the print finisher stuff it was using scalpels knives carrying stuff it was it was quite labor intensive and uh uh, it, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do the other side of it. And uh, um, I used to ride a moped to that job, had an accident on it, and uh, it, it meant that I just needed to find the first job that I could. And uh, um, I, I don't know if you believe in fate. <laughs> I, I don't, but I, I mean, if I did believe in fate, that would be one moment in my life that kind of steered me in in the uh, direction because what I needed to do was leave that job and get the first job I could. Um, I still would live with my uh, parents at that p- point and uh, basically got the job at the first place I could. So I asked my friend um, and I got a job as a warehouse, in, in a warehouse. Mm. Uh, not what I wanted to do, but it it was... A job you know I, I got paid money I was planning to stay there temporarily and look for something else and um, because I was already working for someone else I I had my interview really late at that company I think it was about uh, 6 p.m. and uh, rather than having it with the warehouse manager it was with um, 
I can't remember what her title was, but the second down from CEO in 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 a big international uh, company. And I believe I told her I would like to work in graphic design at some point, um, but at the moment I I want to do this job so that I I can improve my teamwork building skills. You know, I I made something up just to try and get the job, and uh, I do remember her writing that down and. Uh, I was in that warehouse job for, I can't remember how long it was, maybe six months. And I got invited to work in their uh, office department in, in a, uh, it was called product support and education. And uh, a very small percentage of what they did as a team was what could be deemed as graphic design. Um, so I got, I got moved into that team. Lots of it was admin type stuff like booking hotels basically supporting the international uh, sales team. And uh, I was not very good at that. <laughs> like like you said earlier on, I've, I've always been quite an introverted person. So the moment the telephone used to ring, I felt sick and I, <laughs> I, was, just, I was just so nervous. So I, I failed miserably at that. But what I was very good at and what they recognized that I was good at was helping with the the leaflets and uh, the the posters. I mean, at that point, what they did as a company was almost like stick uh, stick drawings, just to show you how these products would be uh, laid out. But because it was something that I really wanted to do and I was really excited about it, um, I'd, I'd never used any of the software before. But I was given a a really old Mac and and a a, a reasonable uh, PC, and it had the software on it. Um, and what I would do is I'd I'd go home every evening and try and work out how to do these things, you know, and then I go back in the next day and uh, show what I've learned. And I started to cobble together some basic knowledge of, of graphic design. Um, and after my three month, was it three months or three weeks? It was, I had a trial period. I think it might have been three weeks. They saw potential in me. Um, and they gave me a full-time position within that team. And um, what I didn't realize at that company, what they would do is that team would basically mock stuff up and send it over to a freelancer. Now, I didn't know that. So when I got given a leaflet for print, <laughs> I did the whole thing from start to finish and it was all print ready. And uh, obviously that saved the company a lot of money. I mean, bearing in mind, I was, I was a young guy. I was probably about 19 at that point. I would have been on minimum wage. I, I wouldn't have been paid much at all. And uh, I probably saved them thousands of pounds. So they uh, were kind enough to uh, do this collaboration with the local print company. So where they got all their brochures and stuff printed, um, I could go there every week for an hour um, for um, a number of weeks and just go go there and ask questions so I would just go there and be like a sponge and uh, I was in that company for about five years I I uh, developed skills so by the end of that five-year period I went from knowing nothing about graphic design to being able to do uh, product illustration uh, proper print ready artwork for print we had a photo studio um, it developed from, like I said, it was 10% graphic design, that team, but that, that team in that five-year period um, went from being almost like a proper in-house graphic design team, and I was uh, key to that development at that point. But yeah, I, so I moved on from there. I went to um, 
it was a web design agency and I would deem that as a proper graphic design job. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, working for lots of different companies. I was thrown in, in the deep end and it was actually at that company where uh, the occasional project was a logo. Um, but not enough that I could ever get really good at it. <laughs> so it was mostly web design, but then like once a month or once every two months, you get a project come along and, uh, I always enjoyed that and in, in the uh, at the medical company I mentioned, I used to really love the product illustration. That that was my favorite thing. I, I, I would have happily become a um a, a full on illustrator. So there was a number of skills that I enjoyed and that that's kind of where the in terms of the, the skill set came from. But on the side of my job, what I've always done from from day one is uh, create projects for myself to get really stuck in and uh, to develop my skills. So uh, when I was at college, I used to do a lot of like um, I wanted to do, I wanted to be a fantasy illustrator at that point. So I used to write stories and and do drawings. Um, uh, but that opened up a door to something else because I, I used to go to this um, uh, club in in the local town for. Uh, uh, children where they could make games and movies and stuff like that um so i used to volunteer there but the the all the work i was doing on the uh books and stuff just for fun i was showing that to the guys that run that and at that point they were animators now they're game developers and um uh i i wanted to get involved with what they were doing <laughs> yeah uh, they just started making apps uh, that was something that I was interested in. It it used a lot of the skills that was in my full-time uh, job. And um, I showed them some bits and we started building. Uh, I mean, I did, I did a few game backgrounds, did a few uh, uh, menus and things for some of the apps. But they come back to me and said, Ian, we we love working with you. If you ever have a good idea, come to us. So I, I pitched this um game to them I, I came up with a whole concept i did a whole plan for how it could work and um they thought it was a great idea so all of us together um in our own spare time kind of fun started working on this game um it was uh, eventually pitched to chilingo which is run by ea games so it's a huge company and we worked on that project for a long time. Um, it was about a, over a four-year period. Um, but what that got me into was the habit of going to work and then coming home, working on something, working over the weekends. Um, you know, any time I had some spare time, I'd, I'd work on this huge project. Um, so it was doing animations. It was doing uh, character characters, backgrounds, all sorts of stuff. It was great fun. I really, um, I really enjoyed that. Um, um, but yeah, I, I got into the routine of working. So when that project was done, I remember saying, I never want to do any big project at home again, because <laughs> it was <laughs> exhausting. It was, it was tough. Um, because I, uh, at that point, uh, at that, at the end of that four year period, I, um, I was in that web design job. I'd been promoted to director. So it was quite a demanding job. But then I was coming home and also working. So I was doing a lot. I felt really stretched. I felt quite burnt out. Um, so I did actually say, I don't want any, I don't want to do any more projects. Um, but then uh, a short period of past 
passed by. I think it might have just been like two weeks or a month, something like that. And uh, I <laughs> I had that bug, like I really wanted to work on something. I, I, I felt like I, I had a bit of a rest. Now I want something new. But I just didn't want a long-term project. And um, a friend mentioned to me, Ian, you're really good at logo design. Because like I said, I, I did the occasional logo in, in my full-time job. I was, I was uh, really good at illustration and I thought that sounds good I like logo design and I've got a strong interest in it and uh, um, I wanted to learn more about it and uh, at that time I, I didn't want to turn it into a business this was just for fun so I, um, I'd learned a bit of SEO knowledge uh, at the agency I worked on you know when you work for a web design agency you just pick up all this stuff from, from yeah. different teams um, so I I wanted to have I wanted to set up a website um, where I could post what I was learning and share share some of the work that I've done. And um, I remember writing down lists and lists and lists of domain names. Uh, now there's loads of available domains, but at this point there was only the .coms and, and the .co.uk. <laughs> you, you needed to choose from there. And uh, I wanted logo or logo design in some way to be in the uh domain because at that point that was one of the ranking factors for seo it's not anymore i mean that's all irrelevant now but um i wrote down hundreds of names <laughs> uh all sorts of different things one of them was logo geek so i went through this list not available not available not available not available and i literally was expecting that one to be gone but the .co.uk was available for logogeek.co.uk. Like there wasn't any strategy behind it. It was just the domain was free. Um, I've always been an, a big nerd. I've always gone to Comic Con. Um, uh, yeah, and just I, I am a big geek. I'm like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Um, so I don't know. It kind of I thought yeah that could do. I I register that because it's a good domain. .co.uk's don't cost much. Uh, they're like. I think it was like six pounds then for the whole year. It was reasonably yeah. cheap. Um, and, and that's kind of how uh, that's, that started. So I, I just started now and again working on this website. Um, it wasn't real, like a real focus. Um, but I found once I built that website and, and I, I was sharing with other people that I was doing this thing, um, I got a couple of friends, from, a, a couple of projects from friends um, I didn't charge much at all. I think like fifty pounds or a hundred pounds back then, uh, which is really cheap for a logo. But I, t I take on these projects, I stick them on my website, and then like old uh, work colleagues, you know, that I don't really speak to anymore, they started getting in touch. And then um, I, I think it was the result of just posting things and and sharing it on social media. I, I, I unexpectedly got an email from someone I didn't know <laughs> and that wasn't something I ever planned or ever expected um, I didn't even think real people would look at my website so it actually had spelling mistakes on it there was parts of it that didn't work um, it was just a website thrown together for fun um, in 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 WordPress and uh, yeah I got I got that first client and that I, that was a big moment because that really opened up this thing and like, oh my God, I can actually make some extra money from this. <laughs> um, I, I I felt at that time I was paid reasonably well in, in my full-time job. So doing this extra thing, it's like, 
if I want that games console, I can buy that games console. If I want to go on that holiday, I can. You know, it's, it, it opened up this. I, I, I just saw the money. It was great. Um, so, yeah, that, that's when I started to put a little bit more focus on the website. Um, I, I started to post frequently on uh, Facebook at first. Then I moved over to uh, Twitter. And then I started getting invited. Because of the work I was doing on Twitter in particular, I was posting... Uh, daily and interacting with people my audience started to grow on there um, so I started to get invited on juries and because I was invited on juries I was getting backlinks mm. and uh, it just kind of started a domino effect I started to get more inquiries coming in getting more calls um, and it got to a point like this was probably about eight years ago when I first started it, but it got to a point where it just got ridiculous. I, I'd be at work <laughs> in my full-time job and my phone would be ringing, <laughs> uh, you know, clients, or I, I'd get loads of emails coming in. And uh, I I went over a long period of time not knowing which direction to go. I, I my My goal as a as an individual was always to work for other people and to always climb the the corporate ladder and you know so um so to improve my portfolio maybe go and work for a london design agency and maybe become like a proper creative director and you know go up the ranks in the in the agency world um but just because of this whole logo geek thing blowing up it um i i got to a point where i felt like I needed to choose between the two I, I kept choosing work because it's like that's what I wanted to do but then I couldn't give up the other thing so I, it was always in this like ditch you know like I, I couldn't pick either one and it was it was horrendous um but what I ended up doing and uh it was for personal reasons why I ended up doing it my uh my my mum, she died of vascular dementia, so I, I saw the effects of, of dementia and, and age, and I would go and see her in the care home. And I got to this point where I I didn't want to regret anything, you know, I, I don't want to regret, regret anything in life. So that's why I decided, you know what, I, I'm going to hand in my notice. <laughs> so um, I handed in my notice, they... Um, they offered part-time. I accepted part-time. That was a great deal. So I did that for three years. Fast forward three years, uh, back in January this year, I decided, you know what, I'm I'm ready for this. I'm going full-time. Um, so so now here today, I'm, I'm full-time doing this. I've got my podcast, got my community, uh, working on all sorts of stuff for... Um, uh, Logo Geek, and I'm I have absolutely no re no regrets. I, I've just got Cambridge, the uh, University of Cambridge, as a client on my own, uh, wow. which is phenomenal uh, to to work on a logo project, uh, which I I never thought would happen. And I'm making more money than what I used to, which is amazing. And I'm just at this point now where um, I'm realizing that I can control my destiny completely. And I'm like, I want to do a magazine series. I want to do like a book so I want to do training courses I got loads of ideas but that's that's pretty much the of how I got to that and I'm happy to go into more detail in in any particular area if you want me to yeah I think to risk a big bang theory quote 
all of that from the effect effectively fun with flags yeah that's, <laughs> that's yes. outstanding yes. yeah yeah i mean i've i've literally said that before like oh dear god i am basically like real life sheldon i built fun with logos <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i've turned it into a business i i honestly thought logo geek as a company name would ever be taken seriously so uh, um so to be able to work with serious clients now and and to get so many inquiries and and to be you know seen as um someone who's influential as a graphic designer and and to be taken seriously by so many people is just phenomenal i i never expected that i thought i would have to create a, a separate brand and but yeah logo geek it is and uh it's doing well for me at the moment <laughs> i think there's a couple of places i would like to explore with you and the first one is the facebook group because sure. you, you didn't mention that but you have a massive facebook group and everybody kind of assumes if you want to be big on social media you have to be out there extrovert confident constantly blowing your own trumpet mm -hmm. but that's just not you so i'm curious to understand how that facebook group came about how you grew it or how it grew you sure okay well i, I think it needs a little bit of um backstory because the facebook group just didn't come out of nowhere um so in terms of social media i brushed on it with brushed over it in my story but i originally started posting stuff on facebook um because i i thought if i if i share things to do with logo design on facebook i'll get clients but that didn't work i i just got followed by other graphic designers um, but I actually liked posting stuff. It was great. You know, I'm into graphic design. Uh, I liked finding resources and and reading it and then sharing what I was learning. It was like keeping a, a backlog of, of things that I found. So I, I kept doing that. I enjoyed it, even though it wasn't actually bringing any any clients. So I, I felt that that never really served its purpose. But in my day job, uh, I always said to the um, CEO and, and the company director, we really need to do social media marketing. Like I was really pushing it. Like they did everything else. They do all the cold calls or the really pushy sales tactics, um, on, on the phone, but they never did any of the social media marketing. And, um, I was learning a lot of, a lot about social media in my own time and, and seeing the power of it in, in terms of, uh, interacting with people and and uh getting your business out there from a research perspective um so i saw the value in it um but anyway that because i kept banging on about it, <laughs> they did an interview with someone that came in to work in their uh online marketing team uh but this person their real strength was growing social media numbers so they 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 had thousands of followers on on twitter um, I think they had like 50,000 followers and, and they was, they was, uh, one of these early influencers that if they took a picture of their trainers, other people would go out and buy their trainers. Uh, so they hired this girl, they put me in charge of her, uh, which was outside of that marketing team. And, uh, together we came up with all these strategies and she was sharing with me, uh, tactics that worked on Twitter. And I thought that's interesting. I wonder if that. Uh, tactic would work for logo geek and uh, I mean it's kind of spammy now but what that tactic was was basically 
finding accounts similar to yours, following the people that would follow them, and then use these other apps to to unfollow the people that didn't follow back. It was really spammy, but um, I tried it just out just out of curiosity. I'm I'm always open to trying these things. But early Twitter days, you can't do it now. But early Twitter days, if you if you clicked on someone's profile. And you clicked who was following them. It would literally show you who just followed them. <laughs> so if you if you was to follow those people every day, those people were literally just online. It's it, uh, so um, I I saw it worked really well, uh, really 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 well. So I made it a rule that every single morning, the first thing I would do would be post something relevant to logo designers, and then find. A number of other accounts and follow um like there was a rule it had to be under a certain amount otherwise you'd break the rules but i think it was like between 50 and 200 people so i do that every morning as a routine no matter what and probably about 50 percent of those people follow back so the numbers on twitter grew really fast early on and that opened doors to other opportunities because people started to see me as an influencer um, I don't do that now. That that tactic um, doesn't work. Um, I mean, it partly does, but I, I can explain more in detail if you want me to. But yeah, that doesn't really work now. But what that did do is early on allow my Twitter following to really grow really fast. Um, is that nearly a hundred thousand uh, now? Um, Twitter's not as big as what it used to be, so uh, I don't see it growing that much more. Uh, but yeah, so that that's the part one. So I, I built, a, I I gained a lot of following on Twitter. Mm. So the Facebook group. So I started joining a couple of Facebook groups that came up online, and there was one in particular that was just amazing. I uh, I don't know when Facebook groups really exploded, but. Um, three or four years ago i think it was maybe about three years ago um i saw that they were becoming growing in popularity and i drew up on my board a plan for everything i would like to do for lego geek and and on that list aside from client projects was uh writing a book creating training courses creating some kind of community maybe doing events um I wrote down all these things and the the common thread between all of these things was an audience yeah <laughs> and I, I thought in preparation of launching these things um oh yeah there was a podcast on that list as well i hadn't yet done that podcast and i thought in in preparation of launching this thing what i could do is maybe create a facebook group and then in like two years time when i'm ready to launch this thing maybe there would be a few hundred people in there that was my mentality i literally thought i'd, I'd set it up it would sit there be dormant for years but maybe a few years later there might be some people in there um but i created that group i posted on twitter and i think like 300 people joined in like the first hour it was ridiculous <laughs> and uh, all these conversations started happening and uh it, it just went nuts <laughs> it was uncontrollable to be honest and uh it people kept uh, joining and it kept growing and um 
I mean, it's it's pretty much continue to grow uh, ongoing. But one one of the most important things I think with a Facebook group uh, that that I learned is that you have to moderate it properly. Otherwise, they go downhill so fast. Um, especially with with logo design, you you get a few people that post really bad stuff. I I don't mean medi- I don't mean slightly bad. I mean really bad. Like you see that they have absolutely zero capability. Once you get some of those in there, all the good people leave and go elsewhere. So you have to keep it well moderated. So I, I just put in a few rules in place uh, for how I I think it could work on going. And uh, in, in terms of graphic design, it's definitely. Um, for for logo design in particular, I feel it's the best quality group online um, that, that that's free on Facebook. There, there's a couple of good graphic design groups, but in terms of logo design as a speciality, I feel um, because of the care for moderation and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's primarily to do with moderation. I feel that has gained a lot of respect. It gets mentions on things. Uh, Will Patterson, he's got a big YouTube channel and he did a shout out about the group at one point and that uh, that brought in a few extra hundred people. But yeah, it's, it's at almost 10,000 people now. I've got three and a half thousand people pending still that I need to go through. Um, <laughs> but yes, it, it's a lot of work for for relatively little return, but... I'm learning so much from those people and it's a good platform to uh, promote other stuff as well. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and you're probably, I've had people with big Facebook groups on the podcast before, but I think you probably are towards the higher end, if not the largest group owner I've spoken to. And I'm a big group doesn't happen by accident. Usually there are some key ingredients in place and one of them has to be your contribution so i'm what what are you actually putting into the group in terms of value yourself okay so it's changed over the years um when when a group is new say say you create the group you can get people in great people assume that once someone's joined the group they're going to be active but actually um facebook has weird algorithms where if you don't engage with that group that person never sees those those posts so what you need to do is not just get people in but get people in and engaging with that content um so there's been a few things i've been doing over the years so the group's about three years three or four years old it's it's not a a a massively old group um but it to kind of kick start it so so the way i see it is that you kind of built an engine but you need to you know get that engine going um because eventually it becomes user generated content and it and it is basically a machine that just runs itself and that that's the point is that now the uh, i rarely post in it the uh posts are in there every single day it's like 80 percent active and it other than just keeping an eye on it and moderating it i just kind of uh, I comment now and again, but I, I don't do as much as what I used to. Uh, so to kickstart it at the beginning, what I would do is post um, like a question or something, something that people would engage with and interact with. Um, or I would, uh, something that you can do in Facebook groups is 
do a shout out to the to the last 100 people that joined so you can tag them in a post facebook does it pretty much automatically um so you can do a shout out greet those people encourage them to uh post and interact and once they posted then they start seeing you know the algorithms are like oh yeah you're interested in this they start showing that person more stuff so if you, if you can get that initial post or that initial interaction from that person then they're quite likely to um stay in so i've done a lot of things like that um but i think one of one of the key things that allowed it to grow is that because i moderate really carefully so it's it's a closed group um and so there's questions that need to be answered in order for the person to come in uh i'm not overly fussy with the people that come in they just have to be capable of answering a question and it's amazing how many people are incapable of that so if they if they can't do that they don't get in if they give a que if they answer the question and you know their response makes sense then i'll let them in um i, I don't have a proper filter that's literally my my metric for um letting people in but i, I think that as a starting point that helps to keep some kind of quality um i've got rules in place uh so with logo design in particular there's always historically been so much nonsense where people would post a logo and go what do you think of this and you get these comments like yeah it's great you know that that's literally how a lot of uh, logo design groups are but with logo design in particular you're not creating a pretty picture so, I mean, something can, can look nice and, and you can evaluate the aesthetics, but if if you're going to create a proper group for logo design, then if in order to give feedback, you need to provide context. So, who is the company? Um, who are they competing with? Who are you aiming to target? You know, all this sort of stuff. So, mm. um, I had post approvals turned on. Uh, that was something I was kind of forced to turn on early on um, because fiverr designers will spam the group uh, but they get booted straight away if, if, if any <laughs> of that's in there um but doing that it posts come in if there's no contact it gets deleted so i'm filtering the posts that are coming in to with the expectation that they should provide context and as far as i'm aware this is the first graphic design group that someone's been that harsh uh, i was really firm about it um, so if people kept posting stuff and they wouldn't provide it, I'd, I'd boot them from the group. Uh, no, no, no questions asked. It's just, you know, I, I don't want that in the group. I've deleted your posts enough times. You, you need to learn um, in, in, in some way. So I've been quite firm in terms of how it's been uh, moderated. Um, I've got one other moderator that helps me that, that just happens to be based in New Zealand. So we've got the 12-hour the difference and he's uh, just as uh, firm on it as, as me. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, uh, filtering the people coming in in the first place and filtering the posts and, and getting rid of people that cause any issues or anything like that and, and being firm on it, I think that helps to to um helps for uh, people that are more experienced to recognize that the group is properly moderated so it 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 you get the good people commenting you get the good people helping you get the good people advising and and people recognize that and they see that and they talk about it it gets shared and i think there's been a a, a domino effect in in that sense that people recognize it as a good group that is well moderated um 
So that helps. And then I got the podcast. I promote on the podcast. Any other, uh, uh, prior to this call, I mentioned I pretty much say yes to every single podcast uh, because I've suffered from social anxiety and it helps with that. So I, I mention it everywhere. Uh, so I, I, I just think it's a mixture of all these things and now it's grown. Um, it could easily be over 10,000, but I probably, uh, if I said yes to everyone that came in, I think it would be well over 20,000, but I've really been firm on making sure that people that are in there are either good or willing to learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. No, I had a look earlier and it is over 10,000 now. I think in that moderation, that moderation is where the value is, because yeah. I think, as you said, if you don't have the context and the landscape that a logo or a brand is existing in, it's impossible to really discriminate and, and understand how effective it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. The competitive landscape that a brand exists in is everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. obviously not. Yeah, everything. I mean, I'd love, I'd love it if they would provide more information. But I found if you're too strict, no one posts. So, is mm. in terms of as a general rule of thumb, as long as there's a little bit, I'll let it in, and people can ask questions, uh, which, which they do. Um, but I, I think, um, sorry, it's something that I didn't add. But you, you need to create a culture within the group. So, like I said, pre, uh, previously, no one was asking for context in groups. Uh, but because I was really pushing on it and, and being very firm on it and explaining the reason why, it started, I, I started to see other people saying, can you provide more context? You know, they were, they were recognizing that I was doing, doing it, learning from it, doing that. And now I've since seen, I actually had other moderators of other groups saying, Ian, the way that you're managing this is really good. I'm going to copy it. And I've actually seen other groups copy it. They, like, I, I, I can see that they've copied stuff from, from the group, like the rules are the same and so on. But it's, it's amazing how you can, uh, once you kind of stand up for something and say, you know, it should be this way, how it creates the domino effect. So uh, most decent graphic design groups are using the same model now, which is a good thing. I'm I'm happy that people have taken note. <laughs> so let's look at your podcast. Sure. I think that I had a look earlier and it looks like it's been running for a couple of years now. Yeah. Is that is that about right? Yeah. So um I started that in two thousand and seventeen. Uh so it's it's about two and a half years. Uh nearly three years now actually. Um and when I first started it, what I planned to do was just ten episodes. Uh, so, I mean, that was totally new for me. And, and like I said, I've, um, I've had therapy for social anxiety. So sitting down and recording and, and interviewing someone is absolutely petrifying. Um, but I worked through that as a, a skill set. So I, I picked out names of, of people that inspired me. So it included people like David Airy, who's the author of a, a blog and a book called Logo Design Love. Um, I really wanted him on. Um, he hadn't previously actually done any podcast prior to that. I was surprised that he said yes to me. Um, Aaron Draplin, um, Alina Wheeler. Her book was one of my favorites on branding. But yeah, I, I just decided I'm going to reach out to these people and do this uh, podcast. Um, I mean, that podcast didn't just start out of nowhere. I was, I was invited on... Uh, another show called um, Side Gig, because uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine online. He built this business called Milo. And he thought my thing was full time. I thought his thing was full time. And we both found out that 
what we were doing was building a side gig. Um, so he thought it would be fun to do a podcast on that. He managed to get a sponsor for it. He told me it wasn't much money. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the three of us, we did a 10 part season. There was no planning to it. We just got together. We wrote down a topic and we just spoke for an hour, recorded it, edited it and put it out there. Um, so we did that. I was absolutely petrified doing that. Like there was actually points in it where the, the guys were saying, Ian, are you okay? And I went, I just need to pull myself together this end. Cause I'm like, my heart's just racing. And, uh, um, there were three of us. So I kept getting to this point where I'd listened to the two guys speaking. They're both American. They both had these amazing accents. And I forget that I'm part of this podcast. I'm just listening to them speaking, going, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I'd start doing because I'd, because I was nervous and because I'd be, I'd be sat there thinking the entire time I have not spoken in ages. I just say something and it's total nonsense. Um, so yeah so i i did that and i got a little bit better but i was still petrified doing it um but what what really pushed me was i i found out how much money they got paid for this thing bearing in mind that we, we just three of us just came together and we hit the record button and spoke which is weird um but yeah we, we got paid um uh I don't know if I'm allowed to say figures, but I'm going to say it anyway. I I, I believe he got paid $500 an episode from a, a sponsor. And uh, uh, most of that money they used, like he paid editors and, and hosting and all sorts of stuff. So there, there wasn't much left over, but we still, each of us got a good few hundred pounds each for just chatting. You know, they, they're literally friends. We were just speaking for uh, 10 hours and uh, we, we got paid. Um, and weirdly the, the the sponsor of that they'd actually contacted me in the past to to maybe do some promotion through uh twitter and uh, one of the other hosts of that show he started doing his own thing and i'm like maybe i could do my own thing <laughs> and um yeah i thought i'd pitch the idea to fresh books who kindly sponsored the podcast and they, they've actually sponsored about 70 of the 86 episodes that i've released so they've they've been an incredible uh, uh sponsor for me um i reached out to them originally hadn't released a single episode didn't even think i was capable of doing it but i decided um uh th this was not long after my mum passed away so I, I i i was in this weird mindset where i'm like have to say yes to everything you know i can't turn any opportunity down so that's that's the reason why i said yes to that um being on that uh podcast as a uh co-host and yeah i thought you know i'm gonna create my own thing and, and see how it goes and like i said i only ever planned it to be one season uh i didn't really know what i was doing i had a had a microphone but no proper kit um but i did one season and it's one it was one of the best things they ever did um uh personally and i learned a lot um i've I know I'm I know I can talk a lot like <laughs> but I've I've never been that confident I've never been very good at conversation um so from a personal development de development point of view um I recognize that I grew in confidence over that period of time uh anytime I made a mistake with like my microphone setup I I, I used a blue yeti originally and 
Um, I didn't realise, but you're supposed to speak into the side of the microphone, not the top. <laughs> so my first few episodes I spoke into the uh, top, so the, the quality wasn't that great. Um, uh, I also didn't have a pop filter, so it had lots of pop, and I spoke too close. Um, but every time I did an episode, I'd release it, I learned from it, I'd, I'd tweak something, I'd do another episode. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did the 10 part season that I always wanted to do. Um, I was lucky enough to speak to people that I admired for years. You know, these are individuals that I pretty much grew up with admiring. And uh, it was just phenom phenomenal to me that I could reach out to individuals, invite them on, speak to them for an hour, and then share that with other people and get paid to do this. <laughs> Um, so it was great for personal development and all sorts of stuff. So there were so many ben benefits to do it that I, I decided, okay, I'm going to take Pat Flynn's, um, can't remember what it's called, but the smart podcast course that he did. Yeah. And uh, I, I did that course and uh, made a few tweaks to my setup and the, the software I was using and um, improved season two. And uh, I... So I, I did a 10-part ten 10-part ten season one, then I did a 10-part season two, and then when I got to season six, that's when I spoke to FreshBooks about potentially sponsoring two seasons back-to-back, -back. Um, and they actually agreed to sponsor six months' worth of content. So uh, back in January, since since the 1st of January, I've, I've been doing podcasts weekly, and uh, I've got a good routine and I'm very likely to continue doing a, a weekly show so it's been amazing I, th I think if you are doing a season based show then a, a weekly show can seem quite intimidating but actually yeah. very quickly becomes routine yes it does yeah it does because I, I, I found um, so I was doing seasons at first I, I think it was like season five I finished season five and then I uh, I I couldn't get FreshBooks as a sponsor right away, but I thought, you know, I just want to carry on. I'm enjoying this, and I started using affiliates. So I carried on back-to-back, -back. and then I started to see, actually, there's just a routine to this. Uh, pr providing you've got a backlog of interviews, you just need to set aside, like, a day, a week to edit the, the show and publish it, and uh, it's just part of my week now. It's just part of my routine. I just put projects around it and, and push it out, and, uh, yeah, I think even before January, I think I think I might have did a uh, maybe two seasons back to back. So I've probably been doing it consistently now for about eight months. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been one of the best things I've ever done. And uh, it's yeah, it's exciting. Um, so I'm I'm so glad I started it. And if anyone was to listen to my podcast and go back to it, episode one versus like the the more recent episodes. You can see my interview techniques improved, my confidence has improved, the audio's improved. It now sounds like a proper podcast, whilst at the beginning it was uh, not. <laughs> I think I think that's why you're such a good role model for a lot of people who want to get into the creator space in any way. Because mm -hmm. unless you're willing to give yourself permission to not be where you would like to be in the beginning, you'll never get good. You, uh, yeah. And especially in the creative sector and, and designers in particular, the perfectionism is a real issue. Yeah, I, I work with a lot of designers where 
they never put anything in their portfolio because by the time they've finished a piece of work, all they can see are the flaws. Yeah. And that leads to complete paralysis. Yeah. That you've found ways around that is well, Yeah, I, I is think huge. I think you have to I mean, if we're just speaking about work, you know, like graphic design work and your portfolio, you have to show what you've done before. You have to, even if you don't like it. Um, but you have to confidently show it and and um, you know, if you if you want a job or or you want clients, no one's going to hire you hire you unless they can see that you can do what they want you to do. Mm. Um, but I, I, for for me in my head, anything like presenting or speaking, I see that in kind of in a different way. Um, but it's not really, is it? I I, I think for me, I, like I said early on, I've suffered from bad anxiety before. I um I was the type of person I'd I'd go to some kind of event and uh you know when people do like a toast and they hold a glass of champagne my yeah. hand would start shaking and <laughs> if I was to drink that that glass of uh champagne I would spill it all over the floor you know my hand was shaking that much um so I had therapy to help with this and uh I mean there were, there was a couple of other things um including stuttering so I've I've had a uh, a stutter when uh, I mean it's it's not a stutter like some people where they can't physically say certain words mine is triggered by anxiety so for a long period of time I had this problem where if I was nervous say like on the phone or whatever I literally couldn't get some words out of my mouth um, so a, a, a podcast has helped with um the anxieties that come from doing public speaking. Uh, I still get quite nervous when I'm actually doing a, a live thing on a stage, but I, I have done that and I've got through it. Um, but I found podcasting helps with that. It's helped build confidence and it's helped with stuttering. And, and these are things that that um, therapist actually said were very complicated and he might not be able to solve it, but he can give me the tools to help with that mm. and um uh and turn hitting that record button it recreates the sensations of standing in front of a crowd of people to me um not so much now but i mean it did at the beginning so uh i've, I've gone off your question slightly but that that's one thing that um it, that, that's really pushed me is is more personal development and and uh I, I think something that's really stuck in my mind and it, it was because of my mom. Um, I don't want to get to like an 80 year old and look back at my life and think, what if, or yeah. I don't want to regret that. And um, the, the reality is that in a hundred years time, most people that are listening to this won't exist anymore. <laughs> and I, I know that's a slightly morbid, morbid way of looking at it, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter what other people think because they're not going to be around at that time. So for me, the, the 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 need to not regret is greater than the embarrassment of screwing up. And, uh, uh, and another thing related to that, when I did have therapy and we spoke about public speaking, they asked me the question of how would you feel if that was one of your friends on the stage and they did mess up what would you think of that person and realizing that actually i don't think anything less of them i just want to support them and i want to see them succeed it's it's little things that have helped me 
um, aim to develop and improve my skills. So it's not about, I, I know we're not perfect, but I'm working to improve, but it's, it's that drive to not want to regret that kind of keeps me going, really. I think that's a great attitude. I really like that. So of all the things you've got going online, you've got the Twitter massive following there, Facebook group is huge. Mm -hmm. You've got the podcast. Of all of those things, is there any one thing you could put your finger on and say, this has been the best thing I've done? Um, out or of everything, more, I, would say, I would say the podcast. Mm. I mean, it's amazing to think that previously, even now, that there's not a dedicated logo design podcast. And I've read a lot of books on logo design and there's not one central resource and and the one of the main reasons is for that is that there isn't one single process so actually to be able to interview graphic designers um from the 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 legends that pioneered graphic design is is it's amazing a lot of them are still alive graphic design is is relatively uh young in terms of a, a career so I'm able to interview some of the what who could be deemed as pioneers and obviously the young up, up, up and coming people and to get everyone's perspective on their process and to share that in some way that's as far as I'm aware hasn't been previously done in, in this way and it, I, I feel like I've created something bigger than me um, with the community as well I mean it, it all kind mm. of worked together as one but um, I actually feel like I'm making a long lasting impact on my life and other people's lives by creating these things so um yeah it would have to be the the the, the podcast for sure ian i'm just looking at the time we should probably bring things to <laughs> a close quite soon if people want to get in touch with you if they want to take things further with you how would you like them to do that well i've i've been quite fortunate that i've got everything under the name of logo geek um so in terms of social media if you just search logo geek you'll find me, but I, I have a website. I, I, I've got pretty much every single uh, social channel. So probably the, the, the best place to look is my website, uh, which is legogeek.com. Perfect. And to bring things to an end, I always must remember to ask this. <laughs> what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? I would probably say the podcast. Hmm. Because, like I said, for so many reasons, it's really helped me improve and develop as a person. And I feel it's elevated um, uh, a lot of uh, skills. So definitely that. And if I'm allowed to cheat um, and, and say a second one, earlier in the conversation, I, I said that earlier this year, I went full time. You know what? I should have done this ages ago. I was worried about it failing, but actually... It wouldn't have failed because I've had leads come in consistently and they're still coming in now and uh, it's, it's always been a passion and uh, I do regret not doing that further because I can see now the amount when uh, when you sit down and focus on something as a um, an independent graphic designer you can do a lot in a short period of time if you just sit down and get on with it so I'm looking forward to see what I would do um within the, within the next couple of years but i do regret not doing it a lot sooner <laughs> i have to agree with that and simply to supplement it i think one thing that people who are not running their own businesses often think is oh it looks so risky but actually if you take a moment and think about it how many people have to get annoyed with you in your job 
in order for you to not have a job? The answer is mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you run your own business, an awful lot of people have to get very unhappy before you're out of a job. Um, so it's it's actually much safer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very daunting. It's it's that it's all the anxieties that come with taking the uh, leap and and being in the right place um, mentally and and financially to be able to do it. Like I, one one real benefit for me and the reason why I did choose to take that leap. Um, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that FreshBooks agreed to do six months worth of content. Uh, and uh, they basically, at the end of last year, gave me a check for $12,000 that mm. I wasn't expecting any other way. And that gave me a a safety net. Um, so I, uh, it meant that when I did take the leap, I didn't need to stress about having to get clients right away. Like I, if, if I, if I could see that, um, say like after four months, if after four months of going full time, I wasn't getting any clients or nothing was coming in, I had a financial buffer that would keep me safe for that length of time. Um, and I'll probably always keep that buffer to one side just, just as a, a, a backup. But because I don't have that financial pressure, it's allowed me to try things, experiment with things. But you know what? It's... I've I've been amazed. Like we've we've been the the, the world's totally changed since March because of COVID nineteen. Um, uh, I've had friends that have lost all of their clients. They've had to shut down their business and all that sort of stuff. But I've been really lucky that running my business over the last four months, it's been incredible. I've been working with so many different clients and. Uh, um, if the momentum keeps going as it is during a pandemic, then I don't see any reason why it won't succeed on going. So I, I, mm. I feel like I did it at the right time for me personally. And uh, um, the company that I worked with previously, they actually furloughed all their staff not long afterwards. Um, so I feel like it was the right time to do it. Mm. And uh, even though I say I wish I did it five years ago, actually, I, I did it at the right time for me. I was ready. So. Ian Padgett from logogeek.com and .co.uk. Thank you very much for your time. I can't wait to see you again in person. Thanks, Bob. It's really great to properly chat with you. And thank you to everyone that's listened. It's been um, really great fun. I hope you got as much out of that interview as I did. Ian is such a great example of an action taker. Success lives in action taken consistently. Consistency and action taken over time allow you to build and refine your skills, your knowledge and your confidence. And Ian's story is a wonderful example of that. If you don't take those first blundering steps, get over your own ego and allow yourself to suck for a while, success will always be out of reach. Take those steps and it can go way faster than you think. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and if you haven't already, join our Facebook group. You can find a link in the show notes or just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. I would love for you to connect with me on social media. You can follow me wherever you hang out. You'll find me at Bob Gentle. And if you do, then message me. Let me know and I can follow you back. More than anything, I would love for you to join me over on YouTube. I have a whole different bunch of content there and 
YouTube's very new for me. So every single subscriber is frankly golden and I would cherish every single one. If you enjoyed the show, then I'd love for you to review it on iTunes. It means a lot to me and it's the best way to help me reach more podcast subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Ian for giving us his time this week and to you for listening. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>